Go with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Very beginning of your Bible. Past the concordance. Keep going to the right. Past your concordance. Yeah, no, you're good. I don't, I'm only using my big Bible because it makes me feel more Christian. Like that's the only reason that I'm doing that. Um, so this series, this series, we're excited about it. Um, there is this kind of theme throughout the first five books of the Bible. It's called the Pentateuch, which makes me feel like a Bible college student for knowing what to call it. Basically, fancy Hebrew word or Greek word for the first five books of the Bible, the Hebrew word is the Torah, all right? First five books of the Bible, it's the story of the people of Israel, actually God's chosen people. And there's this refrain through those first five books of God admonishing the people of Israel to pass on stories from generation to generation of God's faithfulness. Why? Well, you couldn't Google what was the cool thing that God did in Egypt back then. Right? So the only way to understand the history of your faith was to hear it from your parents and your grandparents. Just like in your family, there's probably some crazy stories. There's this rumor going around that one of my great uncles launched himself out of a missile tube in a submarine during World War II. And I'm choosing to believe it because that's one of the coolest things I've ever heard. Right? Whether that's true or not, I am in. That is awesome. Right? We all have some of those crazy stories of these heroic accomplishments. And that's kind of what God was telling the people of Israel to do. Hey, tell the story of how you conquered Jericho, even the walls were the thickest that anyone had ever seen. Tell the story of how you walked across on dry land when God parted the Red Sea. Tell those stories, and so it can build your faith for the future, and remind you that what you believe in is bigger than what's happening right now. And if we're not careful, what begins to happen is we don't hang on to these stories. And I mean, we're lucky to have them in this book. If we don't hang on to these stories and revisit them and remind ourselves of the truths that we find from them, it says in Judges Judges chapter 2, verse 10, that there came a generation that did not know God. And they did not know God because the generation before them hadn't passed on the stories. And so in essence, what we're going to do through this series, and it's going to go on for quite a bit because there's tons of great stories in the Bible, is we're going to look at these essential faith-building stories in the Bible and pull some truths out of it, some pillar truths of our lives, of our Christian faith that says, if we do these, if we pull these truths out, then life will go well for us. Why? Because we want to build our faith through the stories that we see in the Bible. So we want to dive into this tonight, almost said this morning, tonight, what we want to dive in tonight is the creation story. We're going to look at this first couple chapters in the book of Genesis and try to pull some thoughts out of it. So let's pray. God, we pray as we take a look at your scripture tonight, as we kind of look at where it all began in humanity and why we are the way we are today and what Adam and Eve's story means to us, I pray that we pull some truths out of it that we would have our faith built by this story that we read in the Bible. And we thank you for your faithfulness. And we are so thankful that football is back. Praise the Lord. Amen. 
if you if you're new to UDYA, um, Brittany and I's marriage was tested a couple years ago. See, my family's from the East Coast, and so I was raised a New England Patriots fan. Yeah, you guys all hate me. Yeah, and uh, Brittany is a diehard Seahawks fan, and so when 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 uh, Russell Wilson threw the interception. I was sitting on the couch like this, silent. And Brittany looks at me and goes, don't you dare say a word. <laughs> and walks out, did not talk to me for 45 minutes. Just walks out. And I was like, this is it. Our marriage, we had a good run, guys. It was great. <laughs> it started good, but it, it didn't make it through our first Super Bowl. You know what I mean? Yeah. Genesis chapter 3. I don't know how to transition that, so here we go. <laughs> Genesis chapter 3, now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. It's interesting to me, like, I, I re, so I, I grew up in a Christian household, went to Bible school, all that kind of stuff, like, I don't get why I didn't question this more when I was younger. Like, why is a snake talking to a human? It's kind of a weird thought, you know? And why didn't the human just run away? Let's be honest. Most of us just run from snakes. If the snake had said, hey, wait up, I have a question for you. Like, we would have freaked out, right? But we got to understand how kind of revolutionary Genesis is to the culture in which it's being written. So Abraham writes the book of Genesis long after creation, a couple hundred years actually after creation. And so at this point, it wasn't like believing in God was just the standard thing that you did. There were multiple religions at this point, And actually, the earth had been reset once. The story of Noah, chronologically, has happened before Abraham is writing the book about the origins of humanity. And so we've already reset it once. The earth God had to kind of clear it out one time already and then promises I will never do that again. Abraham is writing this, and, and at the time, the, the more general view on religion was that there was a God for everything. There was a God for the sun, God for the stars, God for your marriage, God for basically everything in your life. And, and the general disposition of those gods was they were not a fan of humanity. The disposition of those gods was humanity was something that is created to serve me and make the gods' life better. Never mind that they would mingle with humanity. The gods were way up over there somewhere. And humanity was constantly serving and making sacrifices to these gods, hoping if I can just make them happy enough, my crops will grow and my kids won't die. This is the culture in which Abraham writes the origin story that had been passed on to him generation from generation. And he's writing a story of a God who's not way out there, but created humanity and then would walk with them in the cool of the night. He, he's explaining a God that was more about relationship with humanity, and that's why they were created, than the service of humanity to the gods. This is completely counterculture. He's writing about a God that's saying, you should love your neighbor as yourself. He's writing about a God that's saying you need to not try to kill someone when they anger you, but to figure it out. He's writing about a God that says, hey, it's okay to have slaves, but on the seventh year you should set them free. This is completely and entirely counterculture to what's happening right now. And so he says the serpent 
slithers up, flies up. We don't really know how the serpent came up to Adam and Eve. And, and this word really doesn't do it justice. Really, what they're describing is this majestic pre-fall creature that comes up and begins to converse with Adam and Eve. Thanks, Christian. Perfect. Dude, that, my whole thought right there. You're just, you're just kidding. Just kidding. But, comes up, starts talking to Adam and Eve. And he said, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. Verse 3, But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, and you will die. If you look up one chapter before, just a couple verses up, in Genesis 2, 16 and 17, Adam receives the rule from God and it says this, you shall not eat of that tree and you will die. But it's important to understand, Eve was not around yet when God gave that command to Adam. Eve hadn't been created yet. Actually, the next verse starts the account of how Eve is created. So it was Adam's job to communicate to Eve what the rule was. So Adam either over-communicated to Eve, hey, I don't trust that you're not going to eat from that, so don't even touch it. Or he under-communicated to Eve, hey, just basically, that tree is not good, don't mess with it. And in, from the very beginning, we have an issue that still plagues church to this day. God was very clear to Adam, you shall not eat from that tree. And what Eve communicates back, which was a sign of what was communicated to her, was something different. I think there's a lot of us that live in bondage in our relationship to God because what we were taught in the beginning of our faith was either an over-communication of the truth or an under-communication of the truth. There's a lot of us that find ourselves beating our backs daily thinking God's mad at us because what we were taught was that you have to overperform, which is what Eve's communicating, right? Eve's communicating, I'm going to take what God said and raise it one, and that's going to make me better. Overperforming doesn't make you better, it just says that you have a higher personal standard. Sometimes that's good, sometimes it's not. But on the other side, say Adam had under-communicated what was important. See, a lot of us think that if we can under-communicate what obedience looks like, then we're going to be more free. But actually, that ultimately leads to more bondage. Our freedom is found in our ability to know what to say no to and then to do it. And a lot of us think if, if we can just negotiate backwards what God said truth is and what obedience looks like, then I can do this Christianity thing and get all the benefits that I wanted on the other side. Ultimately, it leads us to being in bondage. Trying to add to the rules or trying to negotiate them away. Both leads to us being in bondage. So Eve says, you cannot touch. And the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. For God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband who was with her, and he ate. We see this pattern. It says that she noticed that the tree was good for food, that the fruit 
was pleasing to her eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make her wise. John writes in 1 John 2, verse 16, The things of this world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, these are not from God. So something that John is dealing with in the New Testament church has its origins all the way back in the creation story. I mean, if we were going to put three categories on sin, missing the mark, it would be, I like what I see, and so I'm going to partake. It would be, I like how that makes me feel, so I'm going to participate. Or it would be, man, I want to play the role of God. If we could sum up sin into three categories, it would be those three. And we see Eve wrestling with those three as she looks at a piece of fruit, which makes no sense to me. Like if it was a cheesecake, okay, I get it. But fruit, really. She had been on Whole30. This is like her ninth time on Whole30. She's excited about fruit. But, I mean, ask ourselves this question. Where's my tendency lie? Where's my tendency lie? Do I tend to like what I see and go after it even though if it's going to have a contrary effect on my life? Do, do I, you know, if you look up the definition of addiction, it's any substance or thing that is used to mask reality. I like what I feel. So I'm going to do it. I, I like how this substance makes me feel. I like how being in a relationship with him or her makes me feel. I like how the money makes me feel. I like how doing this makes me feel lust of the flesh. And then the pride of life. Man, if I could just do this, then I would be on par with God and not need him. If I could just make this much money, then I'm good on my own. If I could just have this level of success, if I could just do this thing, then I am doing just fine. And Eve struggles with all three. It says that Eve turned and gave of the fruit to Adam and he ate. Now we have a really big issue because Adam knew the rule. It's almost like Adam was sitting there to watch Eve eat it. And if she if it didn't die, then he was in the clear. He wasn't far off observing, why is my wife talking to a snake? He was standing right there and heard their conversation. It says that she turned to him and gave it. Please do not believe that one person partaking in disobedience means it's okay for you. I, I, Brittany and I have dealt with this argument. Well, it's working for my friend. Like, and, and remember your mom, it probably echoes in, echoes in here. Well, if your friend was jumping off a cliff, would you jump off too? And yet that logic still applies, right? That logic still applies. And this is, this is what happens. This is what happens. Is we look at the outward signs of something working. And miss the fact that there is probably internal turmoil that we can't measure or see. And what we're saying is on all accounts from what I can see on the outside. Which is what Adam is saying. Adam looks at Eve. When she partook, she disobeyed. The Bible says that the thing that follows that would be death. Eve partakes of the fruit and eats, and though what she had not died on the inside, the internal process of death had begun, and Adam couldn't see that. Just because externally you can claim that it's working for someone else 
does not mean internally you want to pay the price that they're paying. Says that he partook of the food and he ate. And then, verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And then the Lord God said to the man, called to the man and said to him, where are you? Verse 10, he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Says that Adam and Eve noticed that they were naked. God says, who told you that you were naked? The problem with disobedience is it exposes our dysfunction. And, and we can get caught up in the fact, oh, they didn't know that they were naked. No, really, this, this not only, okay, sure, I'll give you the painting show that they were naked, probably true, fig leaves to color themselves up. But more powerful than that is the symbol of what it did to their inner being. Who told you that you were not okay in the state that you were in? What were you doing that told you that you were not okay just the way you were? This is one of my favorite questions, and phrased differently, but in essence what I'm getting to, when I'm talking to someone who's hurting on the inside, one of my first questions is, in essence, who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you weren't okay? Disobedience, struggling, fighting, knowing good and choosing not to do it exposes our brokenness and then our tendency to hide our brokenness is to cover ourselves just like Adam and Eve did. And yet we do it with the clothes we wear or the money we make or the car we drive or the friends we have or the success we find. And in essence what we're hoping is that they're going to notice what we have covered ourselves with than what's really going on on the inside. We project the image that we expect to distract people from our brokenness. And God says, who told you that you were naked? And I love the blame shifting here too. Adam, it was Eve's fault. And yet he had been standing right there. And then Eve points at the snake. It's the snake's fault. But she's the one who entered into conversation with him. We see here the crux of humanity, the decision to be obedient and to take responsibility when we choose to not obey. This, this negotiation of obedience is really easy. We see what Eve did and we do it in our lives. The first thing the snake gets Eve to do is negotiate the agreement. Did God really say? Did God really say that you can't touch the tree? Well, no, he didn't, because I said that. God didn't. You know, we do this. I'm not going to have a credit card anymore because I want to get out of debt. And then we go shopping. And we see the J's, and we're excited about it. We see the Jordans, 
You see whatever floats your boat, whatever article of clothing or gadget. I'm a big gadget guy. Like, I buy flashlights for no reason. I just like finding really cool, bright flashlights. And Amazon's bad for me because my debit card is attached to our Amazon account. And Brittany shows up and there's a new Amazon box and she's like, what is that? And I was like, well, it's a flashlight because it's brighter than my last one. But it's really easy, all right? So it's easy to go down this road. But you negotiate what your agreement was. I'm going to eat healthy because I want to get in shape. And then I smell Cinnabon when I'm walking through Fred Meyer, right? <laughs> or Matador, no- Matador nachos. If you haven't had those, it's okay. Use it as a cheat day. But I want, I want to be pure in my relationship. And so this is where the boundary is. Well, at least I didn't do. We negotiate the agreement. The second thing we do is this, and we see Eve do it. We soften the consequence, right? The snake said to Eve, you surely will not die. He left a whole lot of wiggle room from technically not dying and perfection in which they were in. And we do this, right? Well, at least I didn't get her pregnant. At least, at least, I can still afford the payments on my credit card. At least I didn't get caught this time. At least they forgave me. And we soften the consequence and convince ourselves that the momentary pleasure that we find is worth saying that whatever the consequence is, it won't be that bad. There was wiggle room. And Eve's like, I'm in. She left perfection for at least you won't die. And yet think about what we do. We're getting momentum in our lives and we're doing really well. And then that person comes along when we're having a low day and we say, well, at least I won't feel lonely. Or we're feeling really good and we have a lot of momentum, and we're getting ourselves back in school, but it's okay, I think I can still pass the test. We negotiate the agreement, and then we soften the consequence, and we settle for less than what we currently have, because it feels good in the moment. That moment part is huge. We get caught in the moment. Most theologians believe that man would not have fallen if Eve would have just shut up and not talked back to the talking snake, which makes perfect sense to me. And yet we find ourselves in the moment and and we open the door just a little bit and we circle the store a couple times saying, well, I just, I'm going to tell them to put it on hold. Or we get caught in the moment with our boyfriend or girlfriend and, and instead of going to a public place, we decide to stay where we are. We, we, Decide that we're going to see success in this area, and yet in the moment, man, compromise sounds so great. And we make decisions that have long-term consequences because it's going to have a short-term pleasure. And we make these decisions that are going to affect our 30s and our 40s because we get caught in the moment in our 20s. 
begs the question, why did Eve decide that what she had right now wasn't enough? It's because she hadn't learned to appreciate what she had. I want to ask you the question, do you appreciate the season of life that you're in right now? And I I get some of us are in a tough season, man. I've had a real tough work summer. But I am still in the best place in my life that I have ever been. And I want what I have right now with Brittany and Thor, our little corgi, and our apartment and my job. I want that more. I want to maintain this and move forward more than at least you won't die. And I think a lot of us get frustrated in our season forgetting how far we've come. That the possibility to just skip a couple seasons and be over there is worth at least I won't go as far back as death. And we don't appreciate where we're at. And then there's blame shifting. We have to obey and then we have to take responsibility for our obedience. Adam says it was Eve's fault. Well, actually, this whole issue is Adam's fault because he didn't communicate the rules well enough. So really, this sits on Adam, plus he was standing there as Eve ate. He had every right to say, you're going to die if you eat that. Eve, well, it's the serpent's fault. Well, no, you conversed with your compromise. You had conversation with what you knew was opposite of the truth. And the question becomes, are we going to take responsibility when we mess up like that? Are we going to attempt to cover up our brokenness and hope that we can project out that everything's okay? And I think the reason we don't take responsibility, and I'll be done, the reason we don't take responsibility is this. We are scared of what God would do if he found out. That question that God asks Adam and Eve as he's walking around in the cold of the night, where are you? I think that question plagues us. Because if we're being honest about where we're at, it's not where we know we're supposed to be. And we kind of envision God's tone being angry and accusatory. Where are you? And I think about, I mean, my only context for this is my dog Thor, right? So... Give me some liberty for a second, and we'll wrap this up. Our dog, Thor, is a total brat. Absolutely, 110%. And he, like, we, we have him in dog training right now, which really we're paying Petco to tell Brittany and I that we're not doing good enough as dog parents, <laughs> which is really frustrating. Like, here, here's your 100 and something dollars to tell me that I'm not training my dog right. Thank you. That's awesome. But, but Thor loves to find stuff on the ground that he's not supposed to have and then run underneath our kitchen table and stare at us. Like, he doesn't eat it. He stares at us, and then if we try to take it, then he eats it. <laughs> so, like, one time when he was a little puppy, he had this rope toy that he really loved, and he chewed off an inch of the rope toy and then swallowed it. And then threw it up the next day, which I got to clean up. How that works, I have no idea. And then he proceeds to be sick after that, and we're at the vet for the next two days, and they're telling us if there's even one little string left in there, 
your dog could die because it's going to get coiled up in his intestines. But good news, it's like $4,000 to fix that. It's not a big deal at all. We're like, what? Are you, what? What's that? Like, I was not happy with Thor that day at all. He eats bark dust. Like, we, to get down to our house, you have to walk on this trail, and it's like the most outdoorsy I've been in my entire life. But it's literally just walk down, and he will pick up pieces of bark dust and eat it as we're walking in in the dark, and you don't know until he's sitting on our bed and bark dust is everywhere, and it's because he's still chewing on it. Like, literally, our dog is stupid. But I love him so much, and it is so frustrating. And so when Thor, when I don't, when, when Brittany and I are hanging out doing something in the house, and we don't hear Thor, we're like, what has he got now? And my response, though, is not anger, where are you, Thor? But I have this really cheesy dog voice because the Petco trainer said that my voice was too intimidating for my little dog. And so I have to have this, like, where are you, Thor? Like, this, like, come, I love you. Like, the most massive, I, I, like, go out to the range and shoot my guns after I say that, just to remind myself that I'm still the man, you know? But my natural disposition towards Thor is not anger, but concern about what he has gotten himself into, and how can I get him out of that? I would argue that God's tone that night was not anger, but concern. And the reason I say that is this, in, in Luke 15, the Pharisees are talking to Jesus and they're saying, why do you hang out with people who disobey and don't take responsibility for their lives? The Pharisees called them heathens. We could just call that humanity. Why are you around people that disobey and don't take responsibility for their lives? And Jesus responds with three stories, the story of a lost sheep, the story of a lost coin, and the story of a prodigal son. In essence, Jesus responds with three stories where the crux is Jesus asking the question, where are you? And he says, for all three of these things, I would leave everything to go find that person and to bring him back to the family. So I look at Jesus' story in Luke 15 and I look at God's response to humanity in Genesis 3 and all I see is love and concern and desire to restore people. God's tone towards Adam in that moment was not anger and disappointment, but concern and love. Where are you? Who told you that you were naked? And how can we fix this? And understand, there is consequences for our mistakes. There is consequences for our disobedience. In, in that can, on, ongoing in that chapter, we see God begin to lay out the consequences for humanity because of Adam and Eve's sin. And yet the entire tone and posture through that chapter is God asking the question, how do we get you back to where you were? How do I restore you? How do I make this okay? Where are you? Who told you you were naked? How do we fix this? Why don't you bow your head and close your eyes? We'll be done. I kind of want to ask the question tonight, like what we see in the creation story. God's question to Adam and Eve. The first one is, where are you tonight? 
Do you find yourself kind of hidden in the bushes like Adam and Eve, hoping that no one really sees what's going on? Are, are you ready to come out of hiding and say, I'm going to own the fact that how I have been doing is not great, but I really want to be restored back to what God has for me. I want to be restored back to relationship with Him. That's really God's MO. Maybe you're struggling with the question, who told you you were naked? Maybe you don't feel tonight like you're up to the task. Struggling in your own skin. Projecting something else, hoping that people get distracted and don't see the brokenness and the dysfunction tonight. And I really want to pray for both groups. And it doesn't have to be complicated. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to make a big deal. But if you find yourself needing to answer the question, where are you tonight? Or you want to fight against that question, who told you you were naked tonight? Would you mind just putting your hands on your heart? I don't want to make a big deal out of it. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to make a big deal. just want to pray. So I really believe that God's intention is to restore us. To tell us it's going to be okay. To get us back into the plan that he had for us. God, we, um, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. The love that compels you to ask the question, where did we go? I pray that tonight we would own that there's a chance that we've gone and hid in the bushes. That we're ashamed and scared of what would happen if, if you knew what was going on. If we owned up and took responsibility for the areas that we're not being true and obeying what you're asking us to do. I pray that we would realize that your posture towards us is one to restore us and to make us whole again. Instead of shaming us and making us feel guilty. So we pray that we take responsibility for the areas we need to. That we bring them to you, the one who can help us deal with it and move it forward. We thank you for your grace and your love. And we're excited to continue to take looks at your word and understand you more. We worship you in your name. Amen. Hey, if you want prayer tonight, you know, Brittany and I would love to pray with you or we have other members of our team. But um, before we go, one quick thought about this idea of obedience. In, in, the, in James, it says this, confess your sins. In essence, confess where you're missing your mark one to another and you may be healed. I would encourage you, if you've got something that's been going on in the bushes in the secret for a while, the first step to moving forward with that is talking about it with someone else. So if you're in a spot tonight where you want to get some stuff out on the table, that's what we love to talk to people about. And, and that's what this community is about, is helping people be honest and to move forward and to find news. So I hope if you need to, you take the opportunity tonight. If not, we'll either see you Sunday or we'll see you next Thursday.